clear. When, when did the hangar go up? I told you! When Zor attacked! And where were the starfighters? In the hangar! You mean they're dead? Death is a primitive concept. I prefer to think of them as battling evil in another dimension. In another dimension? How many are left? Including yourself? Yeah! One! There's no fleet, no starfighters, no plan. One ship, you, me, and that's it? Exactly. Zero thinks you're still on Earth. Classic military strategy. Surprise attack. It'll be a slaughter. That's the spirit. No, my slaughter. One ship against the whole armada? Yes, one gun star against the armada. I've always wanted to fight a desperate battle against incredible odds. And welcome back, everybody, to Read Me to Your Taker. Adapting disgusted fiction science at its worst and best. And of course, I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we're back, as we always are, discussing a well-known science fiction film and its novelization. This time, we're talking about The Last Starfighter, the classic 1984 science fiction film, and Alan Dean Foster's novelization of said film. Yes, once again, it is April, folks. And uh, in April, we tend to do... Reverse adaptations. That, that's what we call them. Technically, I, I'm not sure we could call uh, 2001 that. That's what we did last April. Um, it was more like parallel, not really novelization. Uh, but for the first one, we did Total Recall and the Piers Anthony novelization, which was cool. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not James. Wait, what? Now I'm confused. Uh, no, I'm not James. I'm, I'm Seth now. Oh, man. You can't just change who you are. You were just my beta unit. I was enjoying having a beard. <laughs> nice. So we're still stuck in 1984. We have been stuck in 1984 for three episodes now, including this one, because we did um, <laughs> Firestarter right. from 1984 and uh, Dune. So we're never getting out of here, guys. It's, it's never going to happen. <laughs> I'm okay with that. The 80s are awesome. The 80s were a great decade for science fiction. I agree. And, and well, but we will have to discuss, Colin, um, if our children agree with us that the 80s were a good time for science fiction. Ah, <laughs> oh, children. Yeah, but parenting failures aside... Uh, <laughs> like we said, we're talking about The Last Starfighter, directed by Nick Castle, starring Catherine Mary Stewart and uh, Lance Guest. I only mentioned Catherine Mary Stewart first because uh, she's just the primary person in that movie to me, in my memory, for some reason. I don't know why. Um, it, <laughs> I might have had a huge crush on her. It was the sweatshirt, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yes. I like it. She rocked a, a baggy sweatshirt really well. So we should probably start with the story. What's the story? The, the story is every young man's dream. Man plays video game. Man wins video game. Man goes into outer space to save the universe and gets the girl in the end. What's not to like about that? Right? I know. Yeah, we, we need to beat our children. Mine's bigger than me now, though. Oh, no, I still outweigh him. So. <laughs> Just taller than you. Yeah, that is pretty much, right? The the Alex Rogan kid from a trailer park uh, beats the record on a video game and finds himself recruited into the Star League to defend the frontier against Zur and his Kodan Armada, which is awesome. Right. Um, and he flies off into a world of 1984 state-of-the-art graphics. <laughs> Later on, you're going to tell us the graphics aren't state-of-the-art, though, aren't you? A little bit, maybe, yeah. So I thought the graphics were okay because they made it look like a video game, which was a video game anyway. Right. So one, one of the things for me that, that I feel like works in the graphics' favor is you see the video game graphics first, right? 
Right. And you see like the gun star taking off and stuff. And so then when you actually go like in the star car and stuff, it's a much, much cooler, much smoother kind of graphics in that. So right. for me, it, it totally worked, at least when I was 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about uh, background with this one. So James, when did you first see this one? Uh, probably back in 1985. Because I didn't go see those movies in the theater. Weren't you like five years old? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't remember when I first saw it. <laughs> so you're thinking you probably saw it on VHS? Probably. Yeah. I okay. probably rented it from the VHS store up the street back when I was now, a kid. Now, he- here's one. In our last two 1984 films, James, your advice was watch this on VHS. Does that hold for this one? Right. Um, No, actually. This one was pretty good okay. on regular old, I don't know, 720. I think is what I watched though. Yeah, I think part of that is, it, as long as you can accept that the graphics are what they are, mm-hmm. um, there's not a lot else to, to go, ugh, you know, that would look better in standard definition. Right. Well, I think it worked in his favor that it was all pretty standard CGI, but they didn't, I guess what I'm thinking of is they didn't try and meld human into CGI in this film at all. Right? So it was either right. it, human screening or CGI screening. They didn't try and meld the two like, like Dune did and totally just effed it all up. Sure. Like it looks like you're up against a rear projection or something. Yeah. It just looks, makes it look terrible. And it didn't feel green screeny. And, and I mean, so for me, like a lot of movies these days, like um, whatever the Harry Potter knockoff one was, uh, Fantastic Beasts, right? Oh, yeah. That, that movie just felt totally green screeny to me. And eh, I just... Right. It doesn't look real to me. The actors don't act right against green screen when they're not looking at anything. Mm. And so, um, yeah. So I appreciate that in this one, it, it didn't go that way. Right. What about you, Colin? How did you encounter this one? I would have watched it on VHS as well at home. Oh, really? You, yep. you did not pile into a car and go see this one? Actually, I need to take a step back. I could not have watched this at, at v, on VHS at home because we had a Betamax. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Which would explain the superior quality of the graphics and, and, and uh, video. <laughs> you had a beta unit. Nice. We had a beta unit. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's our title right there. We had a beta unit. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, did, did, did your dad cling to the beta unit as being superior for, for ages? Uh, you know, I th- or did he eventually capitulate? My dad really watched, enjoyed watching television as a way to relax and, you know, and be entertained. And so when we, I think my mom did a bunch of research and found out that, yeah, you know, for, for the cost, the Betamax was, was superior. And so she got it. And we actually <laughs> had a store in town that sold VHS and Betamax, which for a little place like oh, wow. Cottage Grove, Oregon, was amazing. Yeah, I remember. So I, I saw this one in the theater. I remember seeing it for, for one of my friends, either 10th or 11th birthday. I can't remember if I was older than her, if she was older than me. Mm-hmm. And I knew nothing about the movie, had seen no trailers, because that's the way it was back then, right? You you just, you either saw trailers at the movie theater or you saw them occasionally on television. But since we didn't watch as much TV back then either, um, I I didn't know anything to expect from it. I just heard it's called The Last Starfighter and went, that sounds cool. It sounds Star Wars-ish. Right. <laughs> um, and that was enough, you know, to get me to go. Um and uh, to me, it was a it was a fantastic theater going experience. So, but like you, Colin, I I remember there was a a video store that was just kind of at the end of the major road where that we lived on, and it had both VHS and Betamax mm-hmm. available to rent. You could rent a VCR of either kind and rent tapes of either kind. So. The real drag was when you went in there looking for VHS tapes and you thought, I found it. I found it. I got the movie. I found the movie, Dad. And he looked at it and went, oh, that's Betamax. Beta we can't, we can't use that one. 
you should have just come over to my house. Right, right. Aside from the fact that we didn't know each other and you lived in Alaska and I lived in Oregon, it would have worked fine. True. We would have gotten along great. So, you know, we don't need to do a big plot march through of this one, of course. But I guess I would ask, um, did both of you... I, I said that, you know, that it was a terrific theater-going experience for me. Um, what did you guys think of it initially? Were, were you big fans from the beginning? Uh, I don't know. I don't really recall. So then have you watched this one more recently, James, other than for the podcast? Yes. Yeah, a while back there, probably about a year ago, I was feeling uh, nostalgic and went through a bunch of old 80s films, like War Games and Last Starfighter and things like that. All those cool sci-fi one-off nice. films. What about you, Colin? Uh, how how did this one sit in your brain? Oh, you know, I was a teenage boy who played video games in the 80s. I thought it was completely awesome. Now, did you did you have a gaming system? I had an Atari 2600. Oh, that was the greatest. Of course, uh, yeah, there were not graphics like uh, like in the in the Starfighter game in <laughs> the Atari 2600. No, no, you know, it was pretty 8-bit. The funny thing was there was right. a game called Star Raiders for the Atari 400 that was based on the last Starfighter, loosely based. I think I think there was some licensing difficulty, but it, uh, yeah, it didn't live up to it. I had Star Raiders. You did? I did. I never was able to save the base. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're not talking about Missile Command, are you? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, it was a ship that gave you a first-person point of view of the... Yeah. And then, you know, you would navigate to various sectors and kill all the aliens in the sector and try and stop them from attacking the base. Because uh, once right. they attacked the base, you couldn't go through hyperspace to get re-energized uh, and get all your damage fixed. Yeah. Yeah, we played that at, at uh, my friend who lived across the street. He had an Atari 400, and it had better graphics on it than the 2600 did. So h- how does this one hold up for you guys? I'm not asking you for an object- objective opinion, because we, we can maybe talk about that in a bit. Right. On a rewatch, you know, just like right now, what, what what did you think of it? I think it held up pretty well. What about you, Colin? Oh, still awesome. I would jump in the star car. Yeah. Yeah, I totally would too. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote down, love this movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm still absolutely crazy about it. And I was humming and singing the theme music, you know, all week to my son's chagrin. And all pretty right. much every time. And okay, let's just get into this, Colin. Our, our children, our scoffers. Yes, do tell. Yeah. So I watched it with Ethan, and uh, he did admit that there was some part of him that uh, was inclined to not like it just because I liked it. So, uh, <laughs> kind kind of the same way Sounds I disagree right. with Colin, just on general principles. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it just it didn't it didn't really work for him, and he's not totally able to put his hand on or his finger on why exactly it doesn't work for him. He's just like, I guess it's a decent movie. I just didn't really like it. <laughs> and okay so the first the first um cg scene right when when they actually take off in the star car uh he went wow that looks like a cartoon <laughs> which when you if cartoon in his language is not you know the old transformers cartoon the old gi joe you know new looney tunes it's toy story right yeah it does it does look like that it, i don't know, i think it does look like that it does look very plainly Computer-generated graphics. Yeah. Yeah, very kind of shiny and smooth. Yeah. But I don't think it was a problem. I think there was a... Maybe it was just because we had recently watched Dune. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Could be. Uh, What about your boys, Colin? So we watched the movie, and, you know, I was 
totally jazzed to see it again. I don't think I'd seen it in you know ten or fifteen years. And you know, you had watched it with Ethan before I watched it with my boys, and so I was looking, I was hoping mm-hmm. for the win reaction, right? And we got right. it done. I said, "Well, what did you guys think about that?" And I kind of got a you know a shoulder shrug from from Peter, and Tim was like, "Eh, it was kind of cheesy, and the graphics weren't very good." Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I spent yes. I spent the next several days wah, trying wah, to figure wah. out what what happened that was different. And I think right. the problem, and I mentioned this to you, Seth, is that. Uh, it's aimed at a younger age group, and and youth today age mature more quickly than we did in the eighties. And so, when you think about the cheesy jokes and the you know the you know the over the top crazy emperor who's no one is supposed to like and all that other kind of stuff, that mm-hmm. yeah, they probably weren't able to connect with it. Yeah, part of it too. Uh, and you you had asked right if you saw this movie for the first time today, what would you think of it? I'd ask you and that. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, and I I couldn't come up with anything stronger than I think I would have liked it, um, but I think I think the nostalgia wins the day for me, and the fact is that you know the arcade was an incredibly cool place for us when we were kids, mm-hmm. right? You had you had your twenty six hundred at home, and it's fun to play, but it's not the same experience as dropping a quarter into a machine, right? You've got you've got real um, skin in the game, right? You've got that quarter that could buy you a Snickers. <laughs> And instead, you're, you know, mm-hmm. using to actually um, try yourself against this machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just a very different thing with, you know, console gaming like like our kids have now. Yeah. Well, and the, the console right. games in our times were so much better, higher quality graphics than what you could have at home. Well, probably graphics in general wins the day too. say this generation children just because they, they're seeing get movies like the Avengers and stuff, right? Where... <laughs> Yeah. You got CGI that blows away anything you could possibly have had 30 years ago, obviously. Yeah. 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 That is an issue. And, and they're so spoiled. That's kind of what you're saying, right? Right. If, yeah, if, yeah. if the graphics are the least bit cheesy, it does mm-hmm. not work for them. Right. Whereas, suppose we're watching it and we kind of understand that, you know, the graphics 30 years ago weren't that great. So we can, for me, anyways, I think I subconsciously forgive it because I, I know when the movie was made. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, do you all think that maybe with practical effects, it might have had a better a better picture quality, or if they'd use models? Yeah, it's possible. Um, I, I didn't get to look to um, check out a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. I, I watched one video called um, actually I watched a couple of videos. I'll put them both in the show notes. One of them is from uh, Good Bad Flicks. He did like an exploring uh, video of about the last starfighter and some of the production stuff and, and talked a bit. And we'll, I'll I'll relate some of the stuff I learned from there. But I think there was at some point, kind of the decision, kind of like in Jurassic Park, right? Where he wasn't sure if he wanted to go with all practical or stop motion or CG or a mixture. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point th- they were going to go with stop motion, right? And they decided to do, to go with ILM instead. Um, but yeah, so one of the other issues, and Colin, you and I have discussed this, right? Is we both, our memories of this movie were pretty imperfect because we, we remembered it being raunchier than it is and having a lot more potty mouth in it. And so I was not ready to show this one to my son when he was 10, which probably would have been the right time to actually watch yeah. it and really enjoy it. Well, and I remember there being like nudity in it. Uh, Alex's little brother has a, a Playboy connection, a collection. Um, and Alex threatens to expose him if he, if he doesn't do what he says a couple of times. <laughs> um, and I'm like, I don't want my, yeah. see, I don't want my kids seeing that kids have Playboy. That's not cool. I see what you did there. Expose him. Yes. 
I, I did watch a, a one video that was that had uh, the guy who played Lewis and and he said the director handed him these magazines. He's like, there, this is what you're going to be looking at and, you know, open it up. And that's the question the guy who played Lewis always get asked, always gets asked, were those real Playboys? Yes. Yes, they were. And he was 10 years old. Wow. So, so when he was saying Yolanda, baby, he meant it. Okay. Well, so wh- why don't we talk about uh, some of the things that we enjoy in the movie? I'll go first. How about I go sure. first? Oh, sure. Um, I I love Zur's speech when when at uh, at Star Command. I love the fact that I like the detail that when he starts to get angry, his signal spikes and it sort of cuts out on him. <laughs> so when he's saying a refuge for weak worlds, it like it statics out, um, which is is totally you know in, we're using recording equipment, right? If you uh, talk too close to your mic, you can end up spiking that signal and, and clipping it. Um, and so uh, yeah, I really like that. And I like the fact that uh, that he shows up right after um, Centauri is saying, you don't think it's dangerous, do you? Don't be silly. Trust me. And then Zur shows up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And melts the guy's head, right? <laughs> you still want to go home and miss all the excitement? Uh, can we talk briefly about Robert Preston and how amazing he is? Robert Preston was totally awesome. Yeah. Uh, James, have you ever seen The Music Man? I don't believe so. Okay. So in that he's basically a con artist, huckster, who mm-hmm. um is trying to rip people off. And uh this movie That's is a sequel right. to that. I I, I believe yes. that canonically uh Centauri is is the main character of the music man. Right, Colin? <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they should have threw in an odd, just you know, a a business card or something else that said Harold Hill on it. There we go. Uh I will say well actually here, when you when you guys throw out something uh, something that you like that you want to talk about. Boy, just just the plot line about you know this kid from a nowhere town beats the video game and finds out that you know the world is a lot larger than he thinks it is, right? And he has mm-hmm. been picked. He's got the skills and the talent to go and save the universe, and then doesn't want to. Right. <laughs> so he's almost an anti-hero right. in that that case. I thought he was crazy. I'm like, how could you not want to? It's awesome. Uh, yeah. Why did you not want to? Because they were he was going to get killed. Eh, right. Meh. You only live once. Yeah, but he he had big plans uh, with Maggie. You know, he wanted he wanted That's to move true. to the city and and shack up with her instead of just going down and making out of the lake all the time. Yeah, you and right. your gland games, Seth. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> James. What about you? Any, anything you want to talk about? No, nothing in particular. I agree. I just agree with Colin. I mean, I thought the story was kind of cool. Who is a I don't know. I was, I was a boy with the mind getting kidnapped aliens to go fight some alien war. That'd be fun. Did you recognize the uh, the first Zandozan character that we saw? The hitchhiker? No. You who have been watching the Deep Space Nine uh, Dominion War did not recognize Mark Alemo, Golducat? That was Mark Alemo? Yeah, he's in Kardashian on makeup. That doesn't that's not fair. <laughs> yeah, okay, but he played he played other characters on, on TNG as well. Um and they, they, they reused Nine. a lot of actors and I, I remember him playing at least two different roles. Oh. Right. But yeah, Mark Alemo is that first hitchhiker who who walks by the uh, video game and it it undoes his disguise and puts him in oh, full Zandazan no regalia. So hmm. I thought that was cool. Like the nice. moment he came on screen, I'm like, no way! And I because because I thought hey, there's no way he's old enough um, to be you know look as old as he did in that movie. But yep, sure enough. Uh, one thing that I really like is um, the the movie does a good job of making the beta character. A character because without that you don't have his sacrifice moment right 
And from what I understand, there were actually like reshoots to add beta scenes because he had tested well with the test audience. And they're like, hey, we like this guy. And so when you next time you watch the movie, look at Alex's hair and notice how sometimes it is pretty obviously a wig. Because he had he had moved on to a different role and cut his hair, and so they put this mop on him. Um, and it's I had noticed it before, but it j- had never occurred to me that it was actually a wig. Just like wow, his hair looks Wait, a little weird. What, in that what scene. do you mean? Why was it? Why would it be a wig in the beta scenes and not in the other normal scenes? So so what had happened was they they did reshoots in order to add more scenes with beta. So they, they oh. went back and specifically, and and so it doesn't. It, okay, I'm not saying that. It was only Beta who ever wore the wig, um, because yeah. Alex was in some of the scenes with Beta, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Right, um, right. But I feel like, yeah, the movie does a good job of making him sympathetic, and so you really feel something when he sacrifices himself, because he's kind of actually a yeah. person. I'd kind of thought the wig just yeah, made him cool. look odd, which a Beta unit should do. Right. <laughs> I I wanted I wanted Ethan and Tim to crack up at the, Louis, you're having a terrible nightmare. Go back to sleep. <laughs> When he took his head and off, and seeing seeing two Alexes at the same time. No, when he when he took his head off and put it on the oh. desk, you know, and he's trying to yes. fix something in his ear. Um, Ethan did like it when uh, when the they heard the ship landing, and and he you know turned his head around with his with his head with his uh, hand, and then like uh, oh, yeah. did the the face palm <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with the disembodied head. I thought that was cool. I, I was disappointed the kids didn't laugh at. Uh, the scene when when Griggs launch, launches them out of the the Starfighter Command the first time, yeah. Where are all the other Starfighters? They were in the base. Yeah. The base that was destroyed. Yes. How many are left, including yourself? <laughs> One launch. <laughs> like we're we're going to end this conversation. So, my son did like the you know it'll be a slaughter. That's the spirit. <laughs> he, he did like that. So if there was anybody that he liked, he liked Grig. He liked the <laughs> kind of laugh. Um, which I think is great. Um, it kind of, it reminds me of my dad because my dad kind of had that that sort of laugh when he really, really, really? Uh, doing uproarious <laughs> laughter. Yeah, and who doesn't like a what did they call him? Uh, an iguana with a bad vendetta. A gung ho iguana. A gung ho iguana yeah. with six thousand or sixteen griglings. Right, and we'll get to that. Um, if I have to criticize this movie, which I don't have to, so never mind. No, I'll um. The climactic battle is really pretty short, and and the movie isn't overly long, really, um, because it, it no. spends all that time developing the trailer park story. Um, I feel like the the space battle at the end gets a little short shrift, and that may be budget reasons. And so I have a hard time criticizing it. I still think it's incredibly awesome, and one of my favorite scenes in any movie I've ever watched is when they emerge from the cave at that Zurian uh-huh. base, and and Greg is ready to take Alex home, and he just jumps to action. And, and whoops all of them. Um, and the, the, you know, maybe there is a starfighter left. It's a great heroic moment, right? It's, it's the part of the hero's journey when he kind of recommits yes. to the task, right? And I love that. I've always, that's a, I don't know, warm, fuzzy moment, I guess you'd call it. So about the length of the movie and the quality of the graphics, at one point, when I think we were out on a disc golf course, you mentioned to me that the director went to ILM, who I guess did the special effects. No, it wasn't ILM. Um, I can't remember what the, what the name was. I, I can't remember if it was maybe an early precursor to ILM. Or, or if it was some other group. I think it was a different group. It was the same group that did Tron. Maybe Wikipedia knows. And I don't think that was ILM. I'm sure Wikipedia does know. Um, it's it's in one of those videos. I'll link in the show notes so we can just refer people there. Uh, it's Digital Productions. Right. That's right. And you mentioned that they had wanted a lot more that was a lot higher quality. 
and they were given a quote of 16 months of rendering time and they wanted to release release the movie yeah. in like six months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they had to reduce the complexity of the graphics quite a bit. And I would love, love to see a version of the movie with, you know, kind of not with graphics redone today because, you, you know, you could do those on, on any of our computers. We could probably render sure. those same graphics or better. But like with, I'd like to see what they had actually planned because, because there, there are scenes and I was telling you this, Colin, that, that it had never occurred to me that Rylos was a planet or alternatively that when he says, welcome to Rylos, that they were actually on the planet. It always, I always thought they were on like an asteroid or something because when they fly in, in the star car and all subsequent shots, establishing shots of the starfighter base look like it's just set into the side of, of, um, yeah, of rock, um, which I guess yeah, is possible, you know, like Cheyenne Mountain. It's a mountain on Rylos. And I'm sure it is. It's just the graphics right there. That's that's where a lot of complexity, I think, went away. Um, right. Because I think I think what they did was they decided, okay, the scenes with the Gunstar, we need that thing to shine. We need that thing to look mm-hmm. really good. And it does look really good. Um, but, but they had to cut corners in other places in order to get the rendering time down. And probably just overall complexity as well. So if you had to, if you did remake this movie today, would you kind of go with the Star Wars approach where you only redo the special effects and maybe throw in a couple of other, you know, shots here and there from old footage? Or do you take uh, new actors and maybe try well, and tweak the plot to appeal to today's audiences? Because like we found out, right, our kids who were about the same age as we were when we saw this, give or take a couple of years, weren't really as into it as we were. For, you know, for whatever reasons. So this, this is something I wanted to talk about, right? Do we want a remake? And if so, how would we like to see a remake done? I think you'd have to modernize the script, if anything. I think you would too. Though uh, there is kind of an 80s nostalgia thing going on right now, right? With, with Stranger Things. Right. Um, and so I could see them doing, maybe like you said, Colin, right? Just redoing the graphics special edition kind of thing. I'm not sure, though, that, that kids would connect with it, like you said. Um, yeah. You could still set it in the 80s and redo some of it and probably make it work. Um, but but I think I'd rather see it modernized further. I think you would have to get rid of the arcade game part of it in order for it to work. Unless you were going to make it retro. You'd have to make it a PS4 game. <laughs> yeah, but then then are the controls going to be a PS4 controller? No. Right. That, that's, that's the problem. problem. You that got one, I guess. I, I disagree. Like as we are wont to do. And then James is going to weigh in and tell us that we're both wrong and, and he's going to tell us the right way to do it. But l- let me tell you the way okay. I think we should do it. <laughs> I want to see a graphics update of the existing film just as it is. And then All right. the reason for doing that is you start to build excitement for the sequel where uh, Alex, either Alex's little brother, oh. uh, Lewis, or another child comes in to Alex's Star Command Academy and is a failure. He's a disappointment. You know, he's not living up to the standard of his dad, who was the last starfighter and saved the universe. And but then he has his own, hmm. you know, journey that he goes through, whether he where he accepts the mantle. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I think I would rather skip over the remake portion and go straight to the soft reboot, where where you have Alex as uh, or not Alex, you have Lance Guest as Alex Rogan, who is now head of Starfighter Command. Um, you know, sometime in the future. Or, you know, you could do the typical thing that you see in movies a lot these days where he's this legendary guy who nobody's seen in 30 years. And then he he makes a very, very brief appearance. He turns out to not be dead, actually. Okay, let, let's come back to that. But I want to hear what James wants to do. What do you want to do, buddy? 
<laughs> James is like, whatever you guys want to do. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever you guys want to do. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to have an opinion on this, James. We're going to force you to. <laughs> Damn it, man. Um, hmm. Well, yes. Yes, those things. All those things. Do all those things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, both both are valid routes to go and, yeah. you know, good ideas or whatever. But back to what you said about earlier about uh-huh. the 80s nostalgia thing. I mm-hmm. think that would probably work. Yeah. Because, you know, kids are stupid. <laughs> Who cares about them? <laughs> we'll tell them you care, James. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, any talk of remate, uh, remate, uh, that's what yes. happens up at Silver Lake. Um, right. Well, because either way, I think if you're going to try and get the kids and do it again, you'd have to redo the script. And if you redo the script, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's not going to be the same movie. And it's probably going to turn to garbage. Could be. But any talk yeah. of remake is kind of a moot point, right? Because the rights are not available. Right. The, the guy who wrote it has kind is kind of adamant, nope, this is this remake is not happening. Not while I have the rights. Right. I wonder if that would apply to doing something like a like a soft reboot or sequel. I don't know. Hmm. You know, um, uh-huh. there's a, a recut trailer with some better graphics and awesome music that you can find out on YouTube. Oh, cool. Send me the link. I'll put it in the show notes. I think the potential is there, Uh, especially like you were talking about, Seth. There's Stranger Things. And I really thought you were going to talk about Ernest Klein's two books. Because if there isn't a a love message to the 1980s world that we grew up in as geeks and science fiction fans, um, it's Ready Player One and Armada. Right. Right. Which I I read the first of those. I didn't read – well, I didn't finish Armada. Um, But there are direct references to The Last Starfighter in that. Oh, yes. Definitely. Somewhat oblique, read, but read I, on, I, Seth. those references are there. Your your patience will be rewarded. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I will. In between all the other things that I got to read. So, Speaking of reading, we, we all read the novelization. I pulled wow. a James and read it in a day. Woo! With no alcohol. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> uh, James, you picked it up at Powell's, didn't you? That's correct. Sweet. And you picked up another one with it? Starman. Oh, I loved that movie when I was a kid. I got both of them for like, I don't know, I think it was a 450 or something like that. Cool. That's another Carpenter movie, you know. It's not adapted, but um, it's not. Next April, Starman. Yep. Yep. Put it on the calendar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a little bit longer than the Starfighter novelization. Yeah, I've actually read that one. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, we had a bunch of novelizations. Um, I I remember reading the the Terminator novelization. My sister had gone gone through and and used whiteout on all the f bombs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to make <it>. yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> should we wrap up the movie and then then move on to the novelization perhaps uh yeah colin so so lead us in the wrap-up for the movie okay well uh, on a budget of 15 million dollars it made 28 million dollars so it was commercially successful it's uh i think 76 or 78 percent fresh at rotten tomatoes nice nice that's solid um, and I think as a movie, it's done something which is which is kind of cool, which is it has lived on 30 years after it has been released. And there are, there are still people that love yeah. it and watch it to this day, even if their children are wrong and make their parents cry at night. Yes, it's true. See how wise right. you are not to have children, James? Ah, uh, yes. Colin, what do you want out of a novelization? I'm looking for more of the same and more. Okay. Uh, I'm not looking for like a rewrite of the plot like happened with the uh, Star or the Superman adaptation from... Oh my goodness, 1980, I want to say it was. Original Superman? Yeah. So there was a whole other plot about some about some black spaceship that he used to go around and do things 
because he was hurt or something else. I think some of that made it into deleted scenes from uh, Superman Returns, actually. Could have. Yeah. So you want to see the movie replicated, essentially, but expanded as yeah. well. Yeah. And I think... So you actually, you you, you kind of want to see some adaptation in, in to the novel form. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the things I, I, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to I trick to you. Think about Are you it. Sure, I know what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not setting you up for anything. Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about the novelization is the time you spend inside of each person's head, talking about motivations mm-hmm. and fears and thoughts and desires, and to me that enriched the story. It added to it. All right. Uh, I I didn't write down all that many things about about what the novelization did and the things that it added. I did write down the problem is that they, they can't capture performance or the charm of the actors. And so right. in those parts, and I think this kind of leads into what you're talking about, Colin, where if you just reproduce the script, then you lose that performance aspect of it and you really lose something. And so you got to bring something to the novelization to add value. Yeah. Yeah. And then the differences then make me wonder, uh, there, there were trivial differences like, in the novel, it was 16 Grieglings. In the movie, I think it said Instead of 6,000. 6, <laughs> yeah. The description of Rylos is very, very different. Uh, Rylos was just described yeah. as this green, lush planet. And that was the thing that helped Alex understand that he was really somewhere else, not Earth, because it was so right. different from Earth. Those kind of differences, the major ones, make me wonder, you know, is that something that didn't didn't make it into the script or onto the screen for cost or uh, directorial reasons. Yeah. Is it an adaptation of the screenplay, but not something that made it into the final yeah. cut? And then there's things that just defy explanation. Like uh, the novel has a different definition of the frontier than the one we're given in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the movie, it kind of presents it as, okay, you have these shield projectors all throughout surrounding the peaceful systems of the galaxy or the universe, I think it says, which is an unimaginable um, uh, <laughs> amount of work, right? Because as Douglas Adams says, space is really big. Yes. Where the movie then is more, or not the movie, sorry, the novelization, I'm used to talking about the movie second. Um, <laughs> the novelization kind of presents it as each system has its own shield or each planet has its own energy shield. And the frontier is just a kind of a neutral zone. Yeah. Or something, a zone of space. One interesting thing for me was the... Um, Ambassador Enduran, he came along and, and started giving him giving a speech to the starfighters and telling them what um, troglodytes they were, um, <laughs> and and how their their primitive warlike instincts could serve the peaceful people of the frontier of the, of the uh, Star League. Um, and I thought, you know, this is this is not necessarily flattering uh, what you're saying. <laughs> no, you're big, but you're dumb, and you're stupid, but you're slow. So. Go out there and kill somebody. Right. <laughs> well, it, it reminded me a little bit of, of childhood's end, where or or really any kind of the consequences of utopia. Right now, we have we have moved past, we've evolved past warlike tendencies, and now the Kodan are invading. So what do we do? We we have to find someone to fight for us. Which in the history of of um, civilizations on Earth, when an empire decides, uh, let's farm out some of our warriors. Uh, to mercenaries, essentially, that, that does not go well. Um, like when you you look at um, like the uh, the Eastern Roman Empire when it was still existing after the West had kind of fallen. You know, they brought in like um, I can't even remember where they were from. They brought in mercenaries from from outside to to protect them. And of course, they totally turned on them. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> As you would expect. 
Let this be a cautionary tale for those of you considering outsourcing out there. There we go. Yes. Every time I think of a mercenary, I think of Jane from <laughs> Firefly. I'll kill a man in a fair fight, or if I think he's going to start a fair fight. So, uh, kind of going back to the movie, but then something something in the book that elaborates on it. In the movie, um, Grig confronts Centauri and says, up to your old Excalibur tri- tricks again, eh? And he says, no, it wasn't the Excalibur test. It was called a video game. What did you think the Excalibur test was? James, help me out here. In the in the novel, does it mention an actual sword for the Excalibur test? No, but I kind of assumed that it was, re- it was a reference to some sort of, like, one time, only this chosen person can execute this test kind of thing, like Excalibur. There, There is a reference in there, and it says something like sword in stone. Does it? Oh, yeah. I didn't remember that. I just kind of, I don't know, maybe I just glossed over it in my head just because I figured it was referencing some sort of event like that where... Regardless of who or what you are, if you don't have this one particular skill, you're useless. And that's kind of what the Excalibur mm. is, right? If you're not chosen, you're not chosen. Right. That's all it is. Yeah. So for me, I'll, I'll say that in the history of me viewing this movie, um, when you know when I was 10, 11 years old, I didn't know what Excalibur was. And so it, it had no... it made no impression on me whatsoever. And so I've never really had any kind of visualization of what that was until reading the novelization and getting that hint that it might be something to do with, um, that had happened ages and ages ago. Cause we don't know how old Centauri is right. um, on earth. True. Or the Arthurian legends come from Rylos. <laughs> right. That's something else. I think the novelization did really, really good. There's the scene where Alex is getting processed mm-hmm. and in the movie, the dialogue stays in English and they, they talk a little bit of Centauri behind him. And, yeah, yeah. you know, Centauri, he asks Centauri what the the processing official is saying. And he says, oh, he's just very, very glad to meet you and would like to help you. Delighted to see you. Yeah. In the book, that's like three right. or four paragraphs of dialogue going back and forth both ways where Centauri is lying to both of them at the same time. Right. And it really establishes his, his characters not really being trustworthy. Yeah, classic con man. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, in a novelization, sometimes when when it starts to elaborate too much on things, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, I don't know that I needed that part ex- mm-hmm. explained, right? Um, and th- that can find I can find that a little bit tiresome sometimes. But you like the interior monologue and the and the extra explanation of things. Yeah, you know, it wasn't pages and pages like you guys have mentioned in Jurassic Park. No, 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 it wasn't. Um, but you know, it was just it was in there, and it was <laughs> it was a cool, funny thing. Yeah. Anything else to talk about, about the novelization? Uh, kudos to Alan Dean Foster. If if I had been on the ball and gotten my book, read the book sooner, I would have sent you out, you know, a set of questions for you to have a chance to answer and tell us things about it that we would have loved to hear about that I'm sure you could share about the story. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're one for one. Uh, you're one for one on doing that, right? Because you had emailed uh, Piers Anthony back when we did Total Recall, and he got back to you. You know, technically, I'm two for two, because I also got a hold of Phil Nichols originally. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm the only one who has a, a blotch on my record because I, I reached out to uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper and he never got back to me. And then he died. And that's too bad. Um, but, I, but I did get a hold of uh, Keith Cotto of the yeah, Heinlein Society. That was cool. That was cool. Right. Oh, my son is in here. Do you want to come say something about the movie? I've decided to dislike the movie just because my dad enjoys it. <laughs> yep. yep. That's pretty much what I said earlier. I failed as a parent. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's there's a few of them that I've watched with him that he's liked, like The Prestige. So his taste isn't totally bad. And that's another one we did on the podcast. No, not totally. All right. What do we think? Are we ready to wrap up here? Yeah. Do we rank them when we do a novelization? I think so. Yeah, sure. Why not? Is there is there a platonic ideal of a novelization that could possibly be better than the movie? This one? I like the book better than the movie. Really? Yeah. So you're, you're ranking the novelization ahead of the movie, James? Yep. 
I don't think we can hang out anymore. <laughs> Mostly just to be contrarian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just just to be like my son. I yeah. should have made him read the book. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Colin? You looked shocked. I was shocked because uh, I, I got to go movie over novelization. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Uh, no, there's there's no comparison. I mean, I did enjoy reading it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to tear through it in a few hours. Right. And I don't, I don't actually don't have a lot of experience with uh, Mr. Dean Foster. Mm-hmm. I, I read Sentence to Prism and the novelization for Star Wars The Force Awakens, which I did not care for. I think I avoided that on your recommendation. <laughs> I have read his books for an awfully long time. Yeah. And I've enjoyed almost everything. In fact, I can't think of anything of his I've read that I haven't liked. Which is probably why I own so many of them. He wrote some Star Trek too, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Okay, so I've I've probably read a few of those. Well, he did. I read a lot he wrote, of those. Oh, I gotta think about this because I'll probably say the wrong thing. He wrote Splinters of the Mind's Eye. He's written literally dozens of novelizations. He's written in science fiction, fantasy. I, I want to make sure I describe this right. He's a competitive bodybuilder and and has several awards for men in his age category. And I think his record is eight hundred and twenty six pounds. Wow. Huh. Bodybuilder or weightlifting? <laughs> weightlifting. Okay. Different different pursuits. Yes. Uh, do you have any idea if that's a squat or deadlift? Or? I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess deadlift, but I, I would be guessing at that point. That would be impressive. I like it. Yeah. Cool. I'll have, to, I'll have to look him up. That's, that's fascinating, actually. Um, all right. I think, I think we're pretty much wrapped on that. We, we don't have to you know, dwell over long on, on novelizations and stuff. It's fun to do the uh, Bizarro episodes now and then. We didn't get this one out, of course, for April Fool's. But what better way to do April Fool's than make you wait a month for it? <laughs> so let's talk about what we're going to be doing. Because uh, I'm going to be – I'm going to have some, some time away in May. I think, Colin, you're going to be away part of June, right? And July. And July. James, when when are you? You're going to England or something, right? I'll be away May, June, and July. At least partially of all those months. Sweet. Wow. So <laughs> awesome. Uh, which means that uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to really put a premium on on the time that we can spend doing this. And the easiest way to cut time is to cut reading. So. The proposal, I sent out a proposal to you guys. James, I don't think I heard back from you. Um, I've talked to Colin. But the idea was... Eh, you know pretty what? much just do whatever you say anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that makes it easy. Yeah. Um, but the, the proposal was to do a series of Philip K. Dick adaptations. Because there's a bunch of short stories that are turned into single films. And I think both Colin and I have the selected stories of Philip K. Dick, which have at least another three yep. stories in them that have been adapted. And Sweet. So that's... Pretty much what we're going to be doing for the summer, um, you know, May, June, July, at least. Maybe we might do three or four of them. But part of that too is that later on this year in October um, is the Blade Runner sequel, and so it would be really cool to do Blade Runner totally like in September. So maybe maybe do some short ones, then do Blade Runner in September, and then and then just do like a Jurassic World episode of um, the Blade Runner sequel, and then we can discuss if it was adapted in any way from. Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which is probably a no, but... Why don't we just do Blade Runner in October when it comes out? Well, because I don't want to cover two movies necessarily yeah. in the same episode. It's it's a, it's an easy way to get an episode in without having to do any reading, is my point, no. James. Fair enough. Now, you've actually already read Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, right? Yeah, like back in high school. So, what, 20 yeah. years ago now? <laughs> Almost. Yeah. I haven't, well, so... Well, 30 years ago for me. Ah, fair enough. I remember... Now, this was, like like you said, 20 years ago, but I remember the movie being really, really boring. That is my memory of it as well, and it is yeah. almost 30 years ago for me uh, when I watched right. that movie. 
Which sucks because the idea of it in my head is freaking awesome. And after being at the, yeah. I call it the EMP Museum, but it's not called that anymore, up in Seattle, it looks awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of excited to watch it again. And I wouldn't mind watching the uh, sequel. So, Well, so I will put this out to our listeners. If, if there's a Philip K. Dick short story adaptation that you think we should prioritize, do let us know. And um, we'll take that into consideration. All right. Are we ready to sign off? Wait, we didn't sign off yet? No, not really. You guys need to tell me which one of you, th- these uh, you prefer, okay. and maybe I'll just keep them both in. But here it is. Uh, may the road rise up to meet you. And actually, you know what? I'm just going to go with um, with Centauri's blessing. May the luck of the seven pillars of Ulu be with you at all times. And then the other one is, uh, may your integral patterned inertial harness always be secured. <laughs> <laughs> Seatbelt. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to go low-hanging fruit and say, may death blossom never overload your systems. Ooh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. I think we're good. Yep. yep, golden. Bye, everybody. Bye. Ciao. Hey, listen, I can't take a present from you, Centauri. <laughs> he reduces me to poverty again, and he thinks I'm giving him a present. What a world this is. What is it, then? It's a second chance, my boy. If you change your mind, just tap the communal crystals. Keep it. Ah, Alex, Alex! You're walking away from History! History! Did Chris Columbus say he wanted to stay home? No. What if the Wright brothers thought that only birds should fly? And did Galoka think the Yulus were too ugly to save? Who's Galoka? Never mind. Listen, Centauri, I'm not any of those guys. I'm a kid from a trailer park. If that's what you think, then that's all you'll ever be.